Let us begin our Reformation sermon with prayer. Gracious Lord, your word is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. We pray that you work through the words of our sermon that we may know the darkness that has descended upon this earth ever since Adam and Eve fell into sin and see the light-saving word that is the only thing that will set us free from that darkness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our text for our sermon is John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you remain in my word, you are really my disciples. You will also know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We are Abraham's descendants, they answered, and we've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say you will be set free? Jesus answered, Amen, amen, I tell you, everyone who keeps committing sin is a slave to sin. But a slave does not remain in the family forever. A son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. This is the gospel of our Lord. It's been 19 years since the scare of Y2K and the computer programming that we figured was going to shut down society. But I remember as we were getting ready for it to turn from 1999 to 2000, a lot of magazines, a lot of news channels, they did polls. They went to college professors of history. They asked, who was the most influential person in the last thousand years? And while a list of very influential people was compiled, do you know who won hands down? Martin Luther. Martin Luther won because he changed society. He changed Western culture. We often don't realize that while democracy was not his thought, if there'd been no Martin Luther, there'd be no democracy. If there'd been no Martin Luther, there'd be no public school system today. If there'd been no Martin Luther, what we have is a welfare system to take care of those in hard circumstances that are supported by a public tax fund would not exist today. I can go on and on. Was it that he was a stubborn German? Was it that he was truly one of the most intelligent men that God ever created? Was it that he was a cult-like figure, like so many other cults that come along? Absolutely not. Scripture had been enslaved. If you came to worship, if you were an average lay person and not a, a, a trained doctor or a clergy person, the lessons were read in Latin, the liturgy was in Latin, and you had no clue what was going on. You worked out your salvation with fear and trembling. There was no grace. You even bought portions of your salvation. When asked, Martin Luther would tell you how he, even though he didn't know how much God was going to change Western culture through him, when asked how he did it, Martin Luther would tell you he was a, one time he'd say, a sack of manure. Another time, a sack of maggots. He said he drank cold Wittenberg beer while the word of God did it. Now, Martin Luther was not a drunkard, but what did he give all the credit to? Not his German stubbornness, not his intelligence, not his tremendous grasp of language, not his struggle over forgiveness of sins, the word of God that set him free. And so our sermon theme for today is only the truth sets you free. And we place ourselves in the many times Jesus is teaching his countrymen, the Jewish people, and some are believing and others aren't, when he says, If you remain in my word, you are really my disciples. You will also know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, there's a lie, brothers and sisters in Christ. 
There's a lie that the whole world is bought into and is ignorant of. If you look in history, there's been many lies that have been told. And and historians will tell you, if you tell a big lie, even an unbelievable lie, often enough, the masses will believe it. One of the lies that was being told was that forgiveness was all entrusted to one office in which the man called himself the vicar of Christ. And you only got forgiveness through the man that filled that office. And again, many of the people who were even priests didn't understand the very word they were teaching. And so, what is the lie they had bought into? The lie that has haunted mankind since Adam and Eve fell into sin? The idea that you've got to grab the bull by the horns if you want to be saved. You've got to do something to get something. If you want to be right with God, you've got to give something to God. And usually that takes the form of you take laws. And normally you get to pick and choose the ones you're better at. But you take laws and you follow them until you're saved. Sadly, there were many people who rode in on Luther's coattails in the Reformation. And they changed the gospel, the truth that you can't save yourself But God became a man and did all the work for your salvation. That's the gospel. That's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And even that faith, that faith is a gift of God because you hear the Word, you hear the truth, and the Holy Spirit comes through that Word to convince you. He gives you the faith. He gives birth to the new man that believes in it. But those who wrote in on Luther's coattails, oh, they changed that. And many of them, if you look at what they taught, the gospel is the good news that God came and He took care of some of the heavier laws. So you can now eat pork, have pulled pork sandwiches. That God took care of the heavier ones, but He does the rest. And that that was what was already being taught. God gave you a boost and then you earned salvation. Others will say that faith comes to you because you weigh the evidence and you make a scientific decision to follow God instead of you're blind and enslaved by sin. God comes and sets you free. It's sad here. He says, if you remain in my word, you are really my disciples. The church had not remained in the word. The first person to tell you what the word of God says, even if it contradicted, was the Pope. The second person who determined what the word of God was, was church councils. The third was church traditions. Never mind if they contradicted the word of God. Martin Luther put the Word of God in the hands of the lay people. And don't kid yourself. The printing press, which he used tremendously, still meant that with the Word of God, you would spend about a year's wages to own a Bible. In other words, if you were going to buy a new car today, that would be the equivalent of buying a Bible. And so people saved up their money. But the Word was translated in their language. It was put in simple German so that they could read it and see they were priests. Anyone who knew Christ died for them and told somebody your sins are forgiven who is repenting, then God was using them as their mouthpiece. They knew the truth. And yet, sadly, today in Christianity, we've decided we know better. Those miracles of the Bible, those couldn't happen. Oh, and that salvation by grace, then God becoming a man, virgin birth, that couldn't happen. It's sad how many Christians today will sit in pews and hear Reformation sermons and yet miss that the very person who is proclaiming what's supposed to be the Word of God has decided that the Word of God is just more like Aesop's fables where there's some nice moral lessons. That's not what Jesus says. 
If you remain in my word, his word which is inspired, you are really my disciples. What changed Western culture? The truth of God's word. Not other people telling you this is what we want God's word to say. Or we don't like what God's word says here, so we'll change. No, it's remaining in his word. And let's admit it, that word has some things in it that we don't like to hear. In fact, the very Jewish people Jesus was talking about were so enmeshed in a lie that they couldn't stand hearing it. They said in verse 31, we're Abraham's descendants. And we've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say you will be set free? They had bought into such a lie that they missed how enslaved they had been throughout their history. It all began when Adam and Eve, living in holiness, worshiping God. They knew good and evil like God does because God has never done evil. But the devil came with his little lie. God's holding something back from you. You have to do something. You got to grab that bull by the horns. In this case, you just got to grab the forbidden fruit and eat it. And when they did, they lost the image of God. They lost holiness. They became slaves to the devil. And if God had not come in Genesis 3 verse 15 and promised them the Savior who would crush that serpent's head, the seed of the woman, hint, hint, they would be slaves to sin, death, and the devil. They beget children. In the first sons they bear, we already see that slavery and that lie. God accepted Abel's offerings. He did not accept Cain's offerings. It seems to me when I read how smug Cain is to God, to Cain it was God is somebody you've either got to get off your back or you've got to bribe to get something. So Cain's offerings were not given out of love for a gracious God. They were the old grab the bull by the horns, I got to do this. And what does he do when he sees that God accepts his brother's offerings that are given out of love? He kills his brother. He was truly a slave to the devil. Mankind goes on and the world gets worse. The followers of Cain just completely reject God. God wipes out the world with the flood, saving only Noah and his sons and their wives. And you think things are straight, right? Nope. Doesn't last very long world turns sinful. God calls a descendant of Shem, who's probably still alive at the time, a descendant named Abram, out of idolatry. Brothers and sisters in Christ, idolatry, worshiping false gods, is just another form of that slavery. You worship false gods because you want something from them. And how do you get it? You give them something. You give them adoration. You give them worship. You make sacrifices to them, and they give you something back. Abram, only by the grace of God, is called out of idolatry to be the father of the nation through which Jesus would be born. Abraham roams. Abraham waits to inherit the promised land. Eventually, he'll have some descendant, Jacob, his his grandson, who will have 12 sons. And they'll end up down in Egypt because the Canaanites, their worship was utterly detestable. But they were enslaved by Egypt eventually. It's amazing that they can say we're Abraham's descendants and we've never been slaves of anyone. They'd come out of slavery. And God had allowed that slavery because it's a beautiful picture to us of the lie that we ignore. That in our natural state, we are slaves to sin, death, and the devil. We can only do the devil's biting. And he doesn't care what you do so long as you do not cling to Jesus Christ as your Savior, the God-man by faith. Because if you're not clinging to that, 
you're going to turn to something you do to be saved. You're going to grab that bull by the horns or you're just not going to care. And either way, he gets you in hell with him. And so the world continually believes that lie and they're enslaved to it. God, God calls Moses to lead the people out and they immediately begin to regret having left Egypt. God makes a covenant with them. You stay faithful to me and I will keep you as a sovereign nation and you will shine with my holiness. And each generation runs after false gods like Baal and Moloch. And you know what? Baal, if you wanted rain, he was the god of rain. You went to see a temple prostitute. You did things that were very disgusting in order to get him excited so that he would bring rain. And you offered your children to Moloch. They have found this archaeologist statues of Moloch where they built fires in its belly and it had hands attached above its belly. And you literally put a child in its hands and they sizzled like sausage to death. The idea that I got to grab the bull by the horns to get something from a God, whether it be rain or whether it be eternal salvation. Oh, that's the devil's great lie and it's built into us. And the Israelites chased after these gods, having the real God. And God says, finally, after generations, you've broke the covenant. Generation after generation, I'm done. And he brings the Babylonians in to destroy them, haul them off to spread them out. And you know what? They quit worshiping those false gods. When they were allowed to return, they changed their whole plan of salvation. This would eventually give birth to the epitome example of the Pharisees. The old grab the bull by the horns. Once again, it wasn't God that saved you. It was, here are the Ten Commandments, and you keep them perfectly, and then God will save you. Oh, and the Pharisees, they added 600 commandments around that to help keep you from breaking those commandments. How it must have hurt them when Jesus on his Sermon of the Mount says, even thinking the thought condemns you because you're unholy. We can't save ourselves. So Jesus here, he's straightening them out. It's by grace, it's by God. Because we are unholy in and of ourselves and we can't stop sinning. So we'll never be able to earn our salvation. And Jesus dies on the cross for us. He rises. The empty tomb is God's receipt to you. Yes, don't trust in your works. Trust in Jesus. He's the one who did it. And things seem to be hunky-dory. Ah, but then the apostle Peter, accidentally in Antioch, he starts following those old laws that have been completed by Christ. I, I got to eat with the Jews. I can't eat pulled pork sandwiches with the Gentiles. And his actions were teaching once again, yeah, you're saved by grace, but just, just one work, one dietary regulation. God sent the apostle Paul to say, Peter, you believe one thing, but your actions are teaching another. And Peter repented. And things seemed to be hunky-dory. Ah. Oh. Paul goes out throughout the, the, the Roman world. And, and it seems like, for example, in Galatia, after he leaves them, he leaves them with the truth and, and they just got to stay to the teaching. But some people come along and they say, oh, oh, Paul's right, you're saved by Jesus Christ, by grace. But, but, you just got to grab a particular part of your body and cut off a particular part of your skin on that very painful part of the body, which was meant to point to the coming Savior. And once he came, that was also fulfilled. You just got to do that one act. You just got to grab the bull by the horns and then you'll be saved. Once again, you are being saved by a work of the law. Oh, they would say mostly by grace, but a work of the law. And of course, we have the book of Galatians. God used the Apostle Paul to straighten it out. Things then seem to be going along. And oh, There's always people who come along a little bit of work. But you know, a major thing happens around 400 A.D. And he's one of the great heretics in history. His name is Pelagius. 
Pelagius comes along and he even completely denies that we are slaves to sin, death, and the devil. He teaches that you are born good at best and morally neutral at worst. And you learn to be bad and you learn to be sin. And therefore, you earn your salvation by your morals. Augustine had bought a little bit into the lie himself and he stands up to him. Augustine is the guy Luther, when he discovers the gospel, says, if I'm the only one in history, then I'm wrong. And Augustine's one of the people he turns to in Augustine's debates against Pelagius. Augustine won the battle, but he lost the war. See, by the medieval ages, what we call semi-Pelagianism is the idea that, yeah, you're born spiritually dead, but God jumpstarts you, and then once again, you turn to that law and you start earning your salvation. And that's slavery. Slavery because you cannot keep that law, nor can I. Our own thoughts betray us by, a minute, by the minute. So even if God jumpstarts you, you can't earn your salvation. And then there's gross Pelagianism, and that is very common in America today. Anybody who teaches you that you make a decision for Christ doesn't even realize what they're telling you is you were born morally neutral at worst and you are capable of making a decision for God. It is not that way. The devil has lied to us and we buy into it. We're slaves to the sin, death, and the devil. Our sinful nature is his puppet and only God can set us free, period. The Jews had missed it. We're sons of Abraham. How can you say? They've been slaves their whole life, spiritually. They've been slaves in Egypt as, as by, through their ancestors. And only, only God becoming a man and earning salvation for us, keeping the law for us, can save us. Jesus answered, Amen, Amen, I tell you, everyone who keeps committing sin is a slave to sin. Now, even now, you have to admit you keep committing sin, but God has given a new person to you. That person is free. That person is eternally alive. That new man is going to heaven because the Holy Spirit gave birth to him and, may, and has given you the complete conviction that Jesus, true God and true man, did all the work for your salvation. And so verse 35 says, but a slave does not remain in the family forever. Now, of course, Christianity has done the most to abolish slavery. But Jesus uses a fact. In those days, a slave was property. Even if he was master's favorite slave, when master died, if the son didn't like the favoritism that his dad showed to that slave, that slave was in trouble. If master got into financial problems and he was offered a good price for that slave, that'd get the family out of trouble. Slave's gone. He says, a son does remain forever. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I especially want you sisters to understand Scripture is not excluding you here. In those days, the son had all the legal rights. Women had no legal rights in the Roman Empire. The son inherited everything. And so you, sisters in Christ, are on the same standing as a son. When God gives you the faith in Jesus, you are prince and princesses in his kingdom. His cross has busted the chains of your slavery to the devil. He's freed you, even though you still have it until you die. He's freed you from the control of that sinful nature that's the devil's puppet. He still has his influence, but the blood of Christ constantly washes that away. And so he says, so if the son sets you free, you will be free. Free from the guilt that comes with our sins when we hurt others. Free from that obligation, have I done enough works of the law? Free from doubting. Free from the insecurity. You are free. 
Free now from that sinful nature that doesn't want you to come and hear the word of God and hear that you are sons of the Lord. Prince and princesses. Free that when you look death in the eye, you can be absolutely confident. The new heavens and the new earth are yours. A glorified body is yours. Because Christ, not you, did all the work. So when you're knocking on death's door and your sinful nature, and he does this, he'll whisper in your ear, you haven't been good enough. You're free from that. You can tell it, shut your mouth. I am not good enough, but Christ is, and I am free. Only the truth sets you free. And that truth is found in the word of God. And God used Martin Luther to put that concept in. Let's put this in the language of the common people, that the common people are not enslaved by the intellectuals to know the true God became true man, did all the work for their salvation, sends his Holy Spirit through that message to give you faith, gives birth to that new man, and you are free, free for all eternity. Amen. Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. Curb those who by deceit or sword would seek to overthrow your son and destroy what he has done. Amen.